0: One, two, three. All right. Well, no, that was uh, quite a trip. (laughs) Uh, You know, (laughs) a couple of things about that. A, it never happened before, ever. Uh, B, Faith is going to feel so badly she missed it. (laughs) Uh, C, I was in in complete prayer and totally relaxed. And when the, the chair gave out, I just didn't know where I was going. Number four, if you could follow me around, you'd say, well, that's sort of normal. I'm sort of clumsy that way anyway. I can walk out to get the newspaper and land in the front yard. I don't know how that works. If you're and if you're real petite and real deliberate with your body actions, that never happens to you, but it does to me. I'm at what? I was ready to holler too. You're ready <laughs> for a takedown, right? Ron's a wrestling uh, guy there. That's right, uh, so, if some of you are thinking I was slain in the spirit, I, I may, maybe I don't know what that means, but so uh, so thanks. Yeah, no, I I bounced right up. My football coach used to say, if you get knocked down, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. And I didn't dare want to say anything because we want to keep the total focus on the Lord. All right, let's dismiss our our, uh, our youth to uh, Sunday school hour. We're going to look in the time that remains. Uh, a message I've entitled, The Gospel Changes Everything. The Gospel Changes Everything. Hopefully uh, you have your sermon uh, outline. Appreciate Anna making those every week available for us. Uh, Take your Bible, look at Romans chapter 12. Like I said, at the front end of the year, we're going to be looking at a number of different themes and then we'll settle back into our, our continued study of the uh, doctor's gospel in Luke uh, as it's, he's, he moves us towards the cross. And uh, this is one of these themes at the front end of the year I wanted to really lay down again. The reality that the gospel changes everything. You know, sometimes in life there's the expression uh, and that you use it or you've heard it said that that's a game-changer. Uh, it's, an, uh, it's our attempt or the attempt of the one saying it to say that event or that person completely changed the apparent outcome. I thought the outcome was going to be, but uh, that came about and it was a total game changer. When I played uh, football back when, a million years ago, in our high school, it was a big time stuff, you know. Uh, it was a blue collar town, uh, north side of Buffalo in the city of North Tonawanda. And most of the people would live and die in the town. If they went to community college, that was a big thing. But we made things. We made things. like We don't make anymore paper and steel and chemicals and all. Even cars, Chevy Motors was there, and so great, uh, great-paying jobs. You could raise a family, and a lot of guys did that. So the high school football was like the be-all, end-all. I mean, it was. And even in our city, there's a hall of fame for high school. <laughs> it sounds funny to say that, uh, but uh, it's a big thing. You have 10,000 people show up to the uh, big rivalry: city of North Tonawanda, Tonawanda, and you know all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, we had us. We had a weapon on our team that was really the ultimate game changer. I don't even know if he's alive anymore, but Dennis Maziarz. Dennis Maziarz. Was six foot six on that day for high school. I know most of you're like pro stats. You go like, well, what's that? That's not that big. Six six three twenty five. Now that's huge. That's huge for guys. Like, and he was like two years older than me, so I'm like a sophomore uh, trying to make the varsity team. And incidentally, a hundred and sixty guys were out there trying out for the varsity team, and we're talking like. It's too bad because their life is over, like 18. The girls' life's over because they go to the prom. That's it. It's all downhill from here. And when you graduate from the high school and you play football, that's it. You reach the top. It's all downhill from here. And I'm trying to make the squad. And I'm coming out of uh, a lot of years of peewee football where they weigh you in, you know. And you've got to be a certain way. You know how that goes. And I go like, you, know, you get into freshman ball and then varsity ball, JV varsity ball, it, there's no limit. And like, oh, man, br- I'm going to die out here. If he falls on me, I'm dead, you know. And so we'd bring him out against our rival. And you could, it was like Dave and Goliath. See the <laughs> he was the ultimate game changer. We'd bring Dennis. He was the left side of the line. You know, on that day, and uh, we—I was always glad Dennis was on our team. Except we had a practice against him uh, all week long, but it made us better. I wonder if you've ever considered that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate, is the ultimate game changer of all. Last time we had the privilege of studying uh, Luke's gospel, chapter thirteen, where twice in that passage. Jesus calls us, and he calls the crowd in that day to repent, and all that's involved in the gospel, repent, confess your sin, repent, believe, or perish. Repent or perish. And if you had done that prior, or if you did that in response to that message, and I've talked to some of you, that that message really rung in your heart, and God had used it in some tremendous ways. And if you did that and you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm here to tell you that nothing, nothing will ever remain the same. Nothing in your life. You know, recognizing that the gospel changes everything, the Puritans would dissuade people from coming to know Christ the Lord. That sounds funny to us in our our American Merchandising Madison Avenue. We want to sell the gospel. We want to get it out there. You know, like we want to bring, well, of course, we yearn for everyone to go to heaven who mothers and dads and brothers and sisters have thought that they, they're not ready, that they don't know the Lord. And the Lord may come tonight, and it's true that may happen. And if they don't know Jesus, that really plagues us. And so we want to do that. Sometimes we water down the gospel too much, and it's not the gospel. But the Puritans went the other way at points. They would tell people, you can't enter. You can't enter into eternal life. Store is closed. You can't do it. You had to, and it was a whole process of pressing into the kingdom. What did it mean? It was the opposite of easy believism. Today it's like scratch your head and oh, you're in and you're in and you're in and you're in and you're in. And we, uh, A, you never know who's in. The Lord knows those that are his. But there's the recognition, we've got to come to the awareness that we are sinners and lost and under judgment, and God is holy, and he is, he is a God of wrath, but he's also a God of love, and he has provided the only way. These are things that you just can't, we talk about the simple gospel, it is not simple. It's utterly profound and to think our way through it, and to wrestle with the, our own wretchedness and our own heart and pressing into the truths and coming to the cross and receiving Christ in repenting or perishing. Well, that was their idea of it, and it wasn't something that was done on a whim, like we might choose to drink uh, Coke over Mountain Dew. Try Coke, I'll try this, or I'll try that, I'll try Jesus, and I'll try i try It was the exact opposite. Well, uh, in writing uh, the book of Romans, uh, Paul uh, had not been to Rome yet. He was, it was his desire. Some of you know that. In Acts, he says, that my desire is to go to, to Rome. Rome is uh, the center of the world at that point in the West. I mean, see Rome and die was an expression. Some of you may think that about Philadelphia, see Philadelphia and die. The reality is you may go to Philadelphia and die. That's a that brotherly city. I mean, there's so many. In New York City, you know, there's so many crimes there. They can't put it in the paper. I was in Chicago once, and to see Jonathan when he was at Moody, and we had horror upon horror, we were in the mall. The mall right on Michigan Avenue went up. Oh, It went way up, but the mall went up like six or seven stories and then there are uh, apartments and whatever up on top. And while we were sitting there, Jonathan was finishing work at J.Crew. He has a little part-time job at J. Crew, And I heard the most sickening sound and I turned around and there was a kid. He was a university student, I, I was told, who killed himself. He jumped over the railing There were multi-levels to this mall, and maybe it was up five levels. You could come to the railing, look down in the courtyard, and you heard him hit. It was the most sickening sound I ever heard. Actually, his skull was hitting... And and people were crying all around and all of a sudden the security began ushering everybody out and uh, they closed the whole place and I go like, well we're going to be around, we had planned to be around another day or two. I thought I'm going to read the paper and find out what's going on with this guy. Not a word in the paper. I asked Jonathan about that, Oh, oh no. They have an agreement, the mall and the merchants along there, stuff like that Happens stuff like that in city happens all the time. In that mall, they don't want that reported. People wouldn't come in there and buy. They're like, whoa, that's where that. Oh, I'm not going in there. Oh, that's you. You you know what I mean by that. And so the only the worst things get uh, uh, get uh, get published in the pay the grossest thing they could never put all the murders and all the horrible things that happen in the major metropolitan areas. Rome was the center of the world at that point. And Paul writes to the Christians there. We know it as the book of Romans in our Bible. And he writes uh, in that the longest gospel track found in the Bible. Uh, uh, our, our, the former generation, uh, we've kind of lost something like that. We were track pastors. we give a little... Little little pamphlet out, and in that pamphlet it would it would tell in a few uh, few pages, just a four a four folded thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you'd find those laying around everywhere. My father-in-law was a great track passer. Would never eat a meal without leaving some sort of track for the waitress, or down at the train station you'd leave something there, put it on the bench, let someone read it. Sometimes in the men's room he'd leave it he'd leave that around. People would read those things. Well, Romans chapters 1 to 8, particularly, is the longest gospel track, if you'll think of it that way, in the entire Bible. You can look throughout the whole scriptures. You'll never find it so lengthily unfolded, bit by bit by bit by bit, in detail, like uh, you will in Romans chapter 1, particularly 1 to 8. In chapters 1 to 3, I have on your sheet, uh, the whole world ends up lost. You see, people have to be at that point. If they're going to be saved, they don't even know they're lost. They're feeling pretty good about them. The cycle babble of our day, you know, just make everybody feel good. You're just a a good little sinner, you are. And you're just uh, self-esteem. And it's the self-esteem nonsense uh, that, uh, you know, you can't ever tell the truth. Look, the whole world is lost. That's the place of the law. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, and he ends that way. Everybody is under judgment. Now how is anyone going to be saved? And then chapters 4 to 8, he begins to show how God, a holy God, declares and saves and rescues sinful men and women like you and I. It begins then in Romans 8, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. He's already said what that means, to be in Christ. And then he ends the very end of that in Romans chapter 8. There's no separation. There's no height nor death, life, anything that shall ever separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ. And so he gives, he gives that. When he comes, that, he deals parenthetically, if you will, 9, 10, and 11 in Romans with what about Israel? I mean, we're talking church things. I don't find church in the Old Testament. that God's purposes fail? And par- almost parenthetically, puts chapters 9, 10, and 11 in, dealing with the nation of Israel and the fact that God's purposes are eternal and they've not failed. In chapter 11 particularly, there's coming a day when he will once again deal with the nation of Israel. We know it from other places. That's that seven-year period of tribulation when God will regather Uh, Israel, and they will believe upon him whom they crucified. Zechariah talks about that. Isaiah talks about that. And that day will come. There are some Jews that are saved now, but just a few, just a remnant. But in that day, thousands upon thousands will look upon him whom they crucified. And that day may be soon. Are you reading in the paper as I am? Are you seeing in the news uh, uh, that uh, Israel... Uh, looks like uh, they're planning to do business there with Iran. There could be some excitement coming up. I don't know how it's all going to shake up. I think we have two carrier uh, uh, fleets in uh, three. Yeah, two in the Persian Gulf, right? Three carrier? That is a small body of water to have that. That, that makes me a little nervous to have them all bottled up there. But... Uh, Maybe it's to provide support for uh, taking out the nuclear sites in Iran. And you know what, uh, the, uh, the leadership in Iran, now listen, Iran is not Iraq. Iraq is Baghdad and a bunch of desert, flat desert, okay? It's not Afghanistan. I know most Americans are like, well, it's over there somewhere. <laughs> it's not Afghanistan, that's the, that's the cemetery of the nation. What in the world are we doing over there? Has buried nations for centuries. That's not that. These are highly educated. The Persians are not Arabs, and they have this. The Shi'as have a strangle grip around it, and their leader seems to be like a. He seems like he's he's a, a few short of a full deck, and some of the things he says is just unbelievable. And I think uh, if you can trust what you're reading, it looks like. Israel is about as far as they're going to go. They can't let that maniac get the bomb because that is a political Middle East and worldwide game changer. And so they'd rather uh, take out, at least the talk is, take out well, what will happen then? Will they retaliate? Will Tel Aviv be bombed? Will it be the beginning of the end? I mean, all the focus is on the Middle East. And uh, will oil be cut off at the Straits of Hormuz? Uh, will we be paying $7, $10 a gallon for gas because it's choked off? Or who knows? But it, I mean, I've lived all these years and I've watched Israel as I studied the Bible. I've got to say, it's more interesting and it's of a nature, I've never seen it like this. In Egypt, Egypt was a cornerstone of the American State Department embassy type of strategy. That's lost, you know, with Mubarak was terrible. But what's the alternative? We end up with a Muslim brotherhood that hates Israel. You can't work with them. And we're just starting to see the crumbling of this wall, so-called, around Israel. Watch Israel. Watch what God has done there. And and if they start talking about uh, a covenant of peace, then look up. Because someone's going to rise up, is going to guarantee at some point the nation of Israel peace. And it's going to be a seven-year charter. And at the midway point, it's, he's going to break that and all hell will break out on earth. I believe the church will be gone now. That's why I say, if they start talking about it, if somebody rises out of Europe in the European common market to be the great savior over there, guarantee it. I'm telling you, the furniture is on the stage. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's another. Come back tonight. We'll do that one tonight. <laughs> well, I could just uh, just and 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 so and and so we come now to chapter twelve. And uh, he's laid out the gospel. He's talked out the Israel, the church issue. And now he's at chapter 12, verse 1. This is, this is the major second division of this book and final. And it really shows that ideas have consequences. Do you believe that? Ideas always have consequences. What a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Here's the idea of the gospel. It's not just an idea. It, when it's embraced... In the hearts and lives of men and women like you and like me, it changes everything. And he's going to go through and he's going to begin to show the impact of this ultimate game changer in your life and in mine. And he begins in 12:1, he says, "I appeal to you, therefore brothers, they're Christians, they're professed believers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice." holy, and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship. And don't, let's read verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. The gospel is the ultimate game changer, and Paul begins the second, and it's often called the practical part of this letter, showing that ideas have consequences, showing the gospel, how it ought to change our life and those of us that possess it. He appeals, he comes along, paracaleo, he comes along the side of to exhort these believers in Rome when we had not met to do something. Well, that's very simple. It's a simple little message. I like them because I tend to understand those better. But three questions unfolding your reasonable response in possessing the gospel. Francis Schaeffer took this, made it a title of a book, How Then Shall We Live? That is, if I possess the gospel, I've repented, and therefore I'm not going to perish What's the impact in my life? And so an easy way to unfold it, as we look at 12:1, is simply to ask, or to say, three questions unfolding your reasonable response in possessing it. Three questions. A, Number one: what does Jesus desire for me now that I'm saved? What do you want, Lord? Second question: What does being a living sacrifice look like in my life? And the last one, what does God think? When I do this, when I do that, which Jesus is asking, when I, when, when, what does God think about this change in my life? Well, first question, what does Jesus desire for me now that I'm saved? Well, you and I, according to 12.1, you're to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, that sounds like a contradiction. And to a Jew that would hear that, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and gallons and gallons and gallons of blood that was shed sacrifice always meant death always it's a, it's like a paradox you know a paradox is not two doctors walking down the street that's a paradox but that's not what he's talking about. It's uh, almost the word oxymoron. Everybody likes that and used that about 10 years ago. Everything was an ox. It seems like two opposites. Living, sacrifice. Living, dead? How does that? Doesn't sort of, and I know sometimes, I love my mother-in-law so very much, but there are a lot of times there are oxymoron jokes made about mother-in-law. They get a bad rap sometimes. You know, opposites, you know. Oxymoron is seeing your mother-in-law drive off the cliff and you're i heard BMW, I've heard Cadillac, I've heard, you know, that kind. And that's not true. Mar- Faithy's mother was such a delight and such a joy and such a help. We love it. But living sacrifice, is that a paradox? The Old Testament system, sacrifice. it was sin substitution. Uh, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die indeed. And God took a substitute, an animal, and killed that animal. That animal died. It was total commitment. You ever hear of the hen and the pig talking about making an, uh, a giving? Uh, something up, what was it? They were going to give something up for breakfast. And, uh, and the hen said, what are you going to give? And the, and the pig said, well, the hen said, I'm going to give eggs. And the pig said, oh, my. And that sounds like total commitment to me. That sounds like just an offering for you. <laughs> yeah, give ham and eggs there, right? Well, it, it meant death. Death, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so what is, what is it that Jesus desires? Now, he, he's saying that we are to present or offer, like an offering, our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, Jesus was the final sacrifice. If you want to study that on your own, uh, take a study for a couple months of the book of Hebrews. It's the most Old Testament book, but all the way through, you'll begin to understand and read it with Leviticus. You begin to understand that Jesus, the Lamb of God, came, not as an accident, the very plan of God, to offer his life as a sacrifice for sin on your behalf and on mine in my place and in yours he died for us he died for us at the cross and so what uh, what Paul is saying God is saying to us that Jesus say this that today we are to die to self and live for him the problem with living sacrifices one man said is uh, they keep walking off the altar they crawl away. When I was a kid up in Peggy's Cove, we, uh, we, went, we jumped in that cold water. It was, even though it was summer, uh, way, way up, this Peggy's Cove. My father wanted to see it, and we went up there, and, and uh, we did. And there were uh, starfish. I mean, they were gigantic. And the water was clear as anything, so we jumped in water. had to be like 56 degrees. You weren't in long. And I was the only one, now they think of it. My brother never went in. He, got, he held the bucket, and I was diving for him to pick him up. But we got about eight or ten of them, filled the little bucket up. We were going to take the starfish home, and uh, we put them on the rocks. Rocks everywhere, huge ro- And we got up there, like half of them had already crawled away. They're a little, they're a little I don't know if you know that. They, they move pretty, we were probably the first humans that ever came in contact with them. I'm getting out of here. Live, the problem with living sacrifices is they, they go on the altar, okay, Lord, and we jump off on Monday morning. Where are we? AWOL. Living sacrifices. Living. Living. Offering ourselves By dying we live, somebody said. Well, B, you, you should daily give your whole life to the Lord who saved you from your sin." You must not live for yourself any longer. Paul said it so well. Uh, do you know Galatians 2.20? Keep your finger in, in, in Romans 12. But look at Galatians 2.20. Many times in my prayer time I cite this as a commitment and promise to the Lord, as I offer myself to the Lord today, Lord. Use my life for however you want as a living sacrifice. But this Galatians 2.20 is one you ought to memorize if you've never memorized it, and some of us memorize it in a little different translation. But ESV says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, it's not my life, not my desire, my wish, my will. It's not, and you notice it doesn't just say all pastors, all missionaries, all Christian schools. No, all of us, if you name the name of Christ, it's for you, it's for me, it's for all of us crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Notice uh, in Luke 9, Jesus' uh, d- description of a disciple. A disciple, that's not a special class of Christians. That means a follower, a learner. If you're, if you're a believer in Christ, if you repented so you won't perish, then that's you. Well, what does he say in Luke 9? Let me, let me quote it for you. Luke 9, 23 and 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross daily, that's death to self, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever wants to lose his life for me will save it. That's Jesus' definition of a a Christian. That's your life and mine. That's this living sacrifice that he is asking of us. It is by dying to our own desires in order to serve Christ that we actually learn to live. Do you know that? If you hold on to your life, you won't have life. But if you give your life away, you'll have life evermore. That's the whole point that he's saying here. If we do this, I I know in my own life it's true, we'll be the happiest of all peoples who have a full and rewarding life by giving it away. You should do this. Why? Why should we do this? He says, therefore, uh, I appeal appeal to you, therefore. Whenever you find a therefore in the text, I always discover why it's therefore. He's connecting something here. It's a connector. uh, He's going to give the rationale. Why should I do that as a believer? Well, the basis is, he says in the text, because of the mercies of God. Well, what is that? Well, he just took one little description, the mercies of God, and he's just described all those chapters of the gospel because of the kindness of God to save you. That's another way of saying it. The kindness of his plan to rescue you from sin and death because of what God has done for you in Christ. That's the reason why you should give your life to him. He sums up Romans 1 to 11, if you will. The Lord made the only way for salvation, and he did everything. Everything that needed to be done in providing for you. It's a finished work. Don't try to add to it. Now, the Mona Lisa's over in the Louvre in, in, uh, in Paris. I know, Andy, you guys were... Did you see it when you were there? Yeah, uh, and it's beautiful. And you may have, you may have some artistic flair, you know, you might say, like, I took art class, and I can I can paint. and uh, But don't ever go over there with an easel and some brushes and go, like, I think I can make some improvement on the Mona Lisa. You'll have some very, un- the French might be very unfriendly at that point. Am I right, Andy? Probably, uh, they'll probably look pretty sharp, and they certainly have great breads, don't they? Croissants and all that stuff. So- But they will strong arm you to the ground if they see you near it. Well, I think she needs to smile a little more. You know, like Whistler's mother, she's a humdinger, huh? (laughs) That's another issue. But no, it's a finished work. Well, how much greater is the work that Christ did on the cross? And yet people walk around all the time saying, well, look, uh, I think we can make some improvement on this. I'm going to try and be good, keep the Ten Commandments, and God will let me into glory. Don't try to do it. It's a finished work First Peter chapter one. And Paul tells us it's only reasonable for us who have received the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to give all that we are and all that we have. Back to him. It's reasonable. Now, one thing you will notice in some of the translation is a case where I really favor the King James translation uh, where 12.1 ends, and this is your reasonable service. I like that so much better than the NIV and some of the others that will say spiritual worship. It's the word in and uh, in, in, in the argument and textual reconstruction. I just don't understand why so many go that direction because the word logios, logical, is the word we get logical, a reason from. Now, it is a worship and it is spiritual and we offer it, but the point is, I think he's saying, this is, and the King James said it, it's your reasonable, logical response. Since Christ has done this, give yourself to him as a living sacrifice. That's what Jesus desires from you if you're saved. Well, well what's it look like? What uh, Second question, what does being a living sacrifice look like? You know, the, a picture is, uh, is uh, clearer than just hearing it. Are you like that? Do you learn? Uh, you know, they say there are many, many ways in which we learn. And some of you have given yourself to the study of that and, and the learning processes. A lot of times, uh, in higher education, what we, we focus on maybe one or two, but I've heard that there are over twenty ways in which we learn. I I, t- I tend to be very visual. If I can see something, uh, then the, that's it. Uh, are you when you get you get a toy home in a box? Uh, do you pull the instructions out? Don't touch anything. Where are the instructions? I'm going to read this through twice. How many do? That? I is there anybody that does? Bev, you do that? Yeah, do you do you do that Sue? Bless your heart. You are really in a minority. You see, I'm really a minority. I don't even look at them. I think they're put in there for troubleshooting. <laughs> like I'm missing a screw at the end. How come I'm missing a screw at the end? Oh, they are always cut you short, you know. You ever have that happen? Right. But visually, where's the box? I'll, I'll put the box up. Aha, uh-huh. okay, that's what we're doing. I'm, not, I'm looking at a picture of the finished product, right? That's how it, and, and so on. And so that's all we're saying here, and he paints a picture for us. What's it look like for us to be living sacrifices? Well, two, twofold description. Your life is to be living, that is, you are to give all of your life, Soma. it's the word body, actually, and all the, the parts of your whole body to the Lord. Go back just a few uh, uh, chapters to uh, Romans chapter 6. Paul has already laid down uh, this whole thing that uh, we are to be as Christians, those that know the Lord, we're to live for Jesus and our members, if you think of our body as having members, our hands and our feet and our mind and our ears and our eyes. He paints that picture in Romans chapter 6 and he goes through them and he's calling us not to use our body uh, for things of unrighteousness, but to present, again, offer our body for, for uh, things that, uh, uh, that are, are, are right and pure. He says in 6.12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members... Uh, To sin, that's members of your bodies, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, it's an offering, yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And he goes on to talk about that in more detail. You can read that later. So uh, what's it look like? uh, It's alive. It's a a living sacrifice, living. Life is beautiful, isn't it? We can tell when something's alive and when something's not or when something, well, what do we mean by that? Well, well, first, your mind. Your mind, of course, is the battleground. Garbage in, garbage out, G-I-G-O. Used to say that a lot with computers. Why does my computer not work? You know, you want to tap it on the side. Oh, no, it's frozen up again. You know, like, well, maybe that's a problem, but maybe uh, uh, your mind is far greater than any computer. Be careful what a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You suck on junk all the time or stuff that is not righteous and holy and pure and virtuous, a good report, these kind of things, that's the kind of junk you're going to be thinking on. That's the kind of trashy life you're going to have. But if, uh, if you say, Lord, help me. I mean, I've, I've been, I've, now that I'm saved, my mind is yours. I offer my mind. I know it's not much, but I'm offering it to you, Lord. Use it for your glory's sake. I want to be careful what I read on. Be careful what I'm watching and, and, and entertainment, what I'm listening to. And, and I, I used to be over here. But therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Lord, let me sweep out some of that stuff, that junk, that, 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 that really end up my life being trashy. And Your mind's a battleground. Victory is here. L- listen to this. Fill your mind with the Word. Balance it. Okay, you're going to read some things that are okay, or you're going to entertain yourself with some things that are okay, or listen. To some, but balance it. Balance it with the Word of God. Look, the more you fill your mind with God's thoughts and word, the more usable you're going to be to him. I promise you that. It's true. You're going to love the Lord more and more when you love the word. And when you just fill yourself. Man, there's doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word. Because it all from cover to cover points to Jesus. Uh, then your ears and your eyes. Be careful what you watch and what you listen to. Be careful about that. Look away. Turn away. Shut it off. Do, I, I don't think I need to hear this. Be careful. You know, we teach that to our kids, don't we? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Or your father up above is looking. Remember that? Sometimes we need to relearn that and practice that. It's so important. That, you know, we're, what are adults? We're kids with big bodies, and the toys cost a lot more. Somebody said so, your eyes, your ears. How about your tongue? Oh, the tongue. Oh, use it to edify. That's slippery, slimy, one pound of flesh. <laughs> you ever see a, a cow tongue at the grocery store? Yeah, kind of gross. Did anyone ever cut that up and eat it with eggs? You go, Look at that. We, uh, this is an amazing group. Like, oh, is it good? <laughs> good, is it? Oh, please. We're going to have to have the benediction now. <laughs> the tongue, the tongue, oh. Yeah, use it to edify, build up others. That's what that means. Use it for building up. Your word should be seasoned with grace. Lord, help me. You know, we share a piece of my mind that we can ill afford to share. Lord, help me in that. Use it to, to point to Christ, to witness to Christ. Use it to pray. Resist slander. Slander. Resist that. Lord, help me in this thing. Gossiping, cursing. I mean, James said from the same fountain, the sweet and sour water means fresh water and salt water. You know, does it, does it come? You know, like the drinking fountain. You ever been real thirsty and you couldn't, couldn't wait to get to the drinking fountain? I've worked out like that. Like, I'm going to die if I don't get water. I'm going to die. One time, did I tell you that? One time in wrestling? Did I tell that story, Mark? I'm not going to tell it now. That's another story for another time. <laughs> but out of the same fountain, right? Salt water, fresh water. Our tongue's that way. Now we're here, we're singing Dave Lettison songs, and this, the group let us, and we're singing and worship. And we go out and, you know, we get cut off. Same to you, fellas. Stick it in your head. I mean, do you see there's a problem with that? Say, God, what is the matter with my heart and my tongue that my tongue would be waving like? It, it ought to grieve you. And then as you review the day, and the next day you say, Lord, I completely failed when I told the guy off. I told my boss what I of him. Or I did this, or I did that. Or the guy ripped me off. Well, he didn't mean it, but he shorted me a bucket and I, and I just chewed him out. Or this, Lord, I, I, I don't know how you can put up with me. Lord, I'm offering my body. I, I want it to be living. I want it to be totally yours. I want it to be Christ. That's not Christ's life in me. Lord, please forgive me on it. Help me. The resurrection power of Jesus, you hear every word I say. Let me remind this. You know, we every word we say, the Lord knows that. It's like, Lord, did you hear that? Yes. (laughs) And how about your hands and feet? We're to work so that we can give to those in need in our feet, you know. Be careful our feet don't take us to places where we're going to be compromised, you know. And do you know how to have beautiful feet? Carry the gospel. How beautiful are the feet of those that carry the gospel, the school and the work and neighborhoods and, and anywhere else, wherever you go, and you're going to carry the treasure of the gospel and tell others they're beautiful feet. Feet are kind of ugly looking, aren't they? They're kind of, kind of strange. They are. When you look at it, and you know, you have more bones in your feet than anywhere else in your body. I mean, that, just think of that suspension system. I saw that yesterday. There was a truck going down the road, and uh, it was hauling a quite a load, and the thing's doing one of these things. Whoa, the cab in the front. I go like, I like it. He's got a shock absorber problem there. He, that The shocks hold that tight, so he's not like riding the wave going down the turnpike, right? Our feet are like that. God designed that for all those bones, for that shock absor- it's just fearfully and wonderfully made. And how beautiful when our feet are used to do the work of God. And think of the Son of God, the Creator God, when He had a sandals out, God Himself standing in the dust of the soil in Palestine. It just blows my mind to think about that. Well, it's a living sacrifice. Well, second, he says it's holy. Your offering ought not only be living, but he says it's holy. That's the end and the aim of the whole gospel. That's it. You say, what is God doing in my life since he said he is making you fit for heaven? What's that like? Holy. Holy. Holy gets a bad rap. You know, you can go down to Barnes and Noble or you can look up uh, Amazon online, and a lot of people want to find books on how to have a better what? I've seen all kinds of things, how to have a better, you know, how to, have, how to do better in school, how to have a better business, how to do better accounting, how to have a better job, how to have a better sex life, how to have more money, how to be a better friend. But I've never seen one, how to have a better uh, holy life. It's, sort of, we, it's not one of those top ten in the culture, is it? And yet that's the end and the aim of the gospel, to make us holy, to make us like Jesus. Holy in itself means distinct, different. Different. You're you're different. All things are new. You're different. What? You have a new disposition. God saved you. You repented. God's given you a new heart. But more than that, he's given you the Holy Spirit. And you're to be salt and light. And, you know, if you just, just go about your daily business, people go like, There's something different about them. They sense that. They note that. Holiness. Living holy. It's the end and the aim without spot or wrinkle. To be holy means to be separate from sin. The gospel imparts new life within us. He takes our messed up lives. And aren't they messed up? Our lives are messed up. And he makes them like Jesus. And it's his work. Aren't you glad for that? From beginning to end. The calling and election of God, the keeping of God, the getting ready for heaven, and all of that is all God's work in us. He gives us the desire of both the will and the do of his pleasure. And it's the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ in you that's changing me and changing you and changing us and making us like Jesus. One of the realities of the Christian life, here it is, is that uh, once once you're saved, one of the great differences, because the gospel changes everything, you can never go out in sin like before salvation and enjoy it like you did then. I'm sorry to mess you up like that, but that's really the truth. And it's a great telltale that you're not really saved if you can. Oh, I can go do that. It don't bother me at all. Oh, You see uh, you have the new disposition the new nature and the spirit of God and you just can't go trash it up like before and just do whatever everything's okay I just sleep all night no problem. That's a problem. The reality is you can't do that because you're God's project he's uh, creating in you the likeness of Jesus. Holiness is the end of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. Conversion to Jesus makes you different. It's amazing. Well, the last question, what does God... This outcome is shocking to me. I think I've said this to you before. When you offer your body as a living sacrifice to Jesus for all he did for you, we're told by Paul that God is well pleased. A lot of translations put it that way. That's exactly what it's saying. Uh, ESV puts it, it is acceptable to God. That God is well-pleased. You mean when I offer my body and it's a daily offering? God says uh, he's pleased with that? It's the very same word that God the Father used when he spoke from heaven the day that uh, Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. You can check it out, Mark 1, verse 11. The voice from heaven, imagine that? This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well-pleased. Well, well, we go like well. Of course, the Father's pleased with Jesus. Of course, it's it, it's a, it's a huge stretch to think that there's anything that I might do, and because of my wretchedness and the wretchedness of my life and my battle with sin and often my failure in the battle of sin, that there might be anything in my life that God would say I'm pleased with Terry. I mean, that's 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 hard, isn't it? Now some of you had fathers that they were so grudging and so demented in their role that they never gave you those words. I'm sorry for that. You know, a dad ought to be a dad is a coach. A pastor is a coach. Much of life is coaching. A, good, a, a dad who's a coach will impart wisdom to his children and he's the coach. And when it's done well, he'll say, that pleases me. Those words are like gold. Are they not? They are. Oftentimes they're remembered all their lives, but to have God the Father say, "You know, when when Bill or Mary or Terry or Mark or Dan would offer themselves to me to be a living sacrifice, holy, wow, you know what? I'm pleased with that." I go like, that's hard for me to compute. That that that's really true, but that's what the Word says. Wow, that motivates me. It motivates me, Lord, to want to do more. Well, what are some lessons? Quickly, and we're done. Number one, lessons for you. Eli- and you have them on your sheet. I think they're printed uh, on the sheet so we can. Uh, the gospel changes everything. Better than Dennis six foot five, three 325. It changes everything. It changes your relationship with everything. If you're a husband and you possess the gospel, it will make you Christ husband to your wife. Father to your children, to your grandchildren, a wife to your husband. You are Christ's wife to your husband. You are Christ's uh, employee to that employer uh, uh, in, in the neighborhood, in the community, in your church. You see, it changes everything. It changes your relationship with you. You thought maybe you were junk or nothing or a complete failure. You come to understand, wait a minute, I'm more valuable than anything. That Christ should die for me. And that I'm a child of God. Wow, I guess I'm not junk. Wow, it changes everything. changes everything. And then our hope for the future. As we march through these days of life, we look forward to Forever. There's a condominium with my name on it, and it's not on the beach down south. If there is, I don't know about it. If there is, it's only for this much time, but there's another one forever. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. It changes everything. Number two, if you're a believer, tell the Lord in daily prayer that you're giving yourself to him for his purposes for that day. That's what I do. Join me in that, Lord. Today, I give myself to you. I'm your servant. You know, I have my schedule, but you you can reroute. There are no interruptions with you, and bring about, use me for your glory. I belong to you in total. I yield myself to you. I promise you, if you do that, the Lord will use you, and then you'll view the things that happen today as God's appointments, and you're His ambassador to bring salt and light and blessing and help and love, the love of God, into that situation. It's a great reason to live. Some of you, some folks walking around like, oh, there's no reason to live. Wait a minute. Holy cow. This is greater than life. Number three, remember that since we have received the unimaginable gift of eternal life, I mean, if you were to want to sell your gift of eternal life, how much would you take for it? Would you sell it? You would never sell it, would you? How about I'll give you Donald Trump's uh, money if I could? That'd be stupid, right? Say, if I ever do that, kill me before. You know, like, <laughs> that'd be the dumbest. You'd never do that. It's unimaginable, the gift of eternal life. It is therefore, since a gift we've received, only logical, that we give our bodies, our life, our all to him in return. That is real worship. That is, Lord, here I am. It's not much. Use me. Number four, your growth and holiness of living is a good measuring stick. I mean, we're still in this battle against sin. You know, the presence of sin is still here. The power is broken. We sin. We don't need to. We don't have to. And God is growing us. And sometimes it's two steps forward, one back. But uh, you ought to say, wow, God is changing my heart and softening, and I love him more and more and more. And I want to please him. It's a great measuring stick. You pull it out and you're like, wow, Lord, I've grown an inch. Wow, Lord, thank you. Are you growing in your area of Christ likeness? Ask the Lord for his power to help you. It's not you mustering it up, it's him and you. He'll change you, he'll change your will, your desire, and give you the ability. <clears throat> Number five and last, the place to start, of course, is Paul's word, the mercies of God. If you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never repented of sin, that's the place to start. You must bow the knee before him. Agree with him. Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I am a sinner and lost and worthy of hell, fire, and judgment. Thank you for the love of God that you should come and die in my place. You took the punishment I deserve. Thank you for the words that say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's me, Lord. In simply silent prayer, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. Thank you. I promise to live for you. Wow. Well, the gospel changes everything. Every single thing. Everything, nothing is the same after it. It's great. Praise the Lord, shall we pray. Father, thank you so much for the word of God and the power of the gospel and the treasure that it is. And I pray, Lord, that we'll be a people that grow in holiness, that live for you, that not only on Sunday morning, but every day, every hour, we'll strive to please you and to serve you to be your hand and feet and eyes and ears and tongue, and that we use our mind to glorify you and to honor you and to bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus. Draw the lost, any here that know you not, to yourself today. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, Pastor. Our-